The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. This is the news. And why, 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 why it matters. Hey, I'm Sarah Gonzalez. Welcome to the news and why it matters. Uh, Stu's drunk. So <laughs> I mean, buzzed is probably you, more accurate. If you listen, point. you stumbled in here. I saw you. It's a little bit. I mean, but I mean, <laughs> I'm sitting. Do I really need to be able to walk? If you missed, mm. if you missed radio, uh, Stu did a power hour mm-hmm. just to test the theory that Obama was able to do power hour and then go to class. I gotta say, I think cool. I think we backed up Obama on I this think one. You did. I mean, in, in, you know, bottom line was I was able to occasionally come up with a coherent sentence. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, I mean, it was hard. I will say, you know, you're, when you're at minute 45 of that thing, it's not fun. Not yeah. fun. Doesn't this uh, just prove that both you and former President Obama have these insane tolerances to alcohol? Yeah, I think it's just proves that he's an HR, alcoholic. Right, I think HR should look into this further. <laughs> so, Next thing you know, he threw ice at somebody while drinking. Right? Oh, no, because, I mean, Stu... You can't be the only one that's allowed to drink on air. Yeah. So we decided to, that we would have to join along with you. We had a real scientific reason. You guys are just drinking at work. Uh, our, yes. All right, Stu, top story. Uh, I mean, we got to go Kavanaugh, right? I mean, uh, big vote today, 5149. We're going to go into the details of that and what it looks like uh, going into the weekend. Right, Jason. I'm going to go in tandem with that, but also it's a very interesting anniversary date today, which goes right into the Kavanaugh hearing today. And our special guest is Giancarlo yeah. Sopo. Yes. Yay. Nice. Thank awesome. you so much for joining us. What is your top story? Uh, the economy. Get the applause. Awesome for jobs. <laughs> yeah. So the, the applause for the economy and jobs and also sure. Giancarlo Sopo. Thank you. Uh, all right. Before we get into that, I want to thank our sponsor, iTarget Pro. Uh, so I, again, I say this every time, but I was gone when they did the commercial for this. And I came back and I watched the commercial and I was like, dude, that's so cool. I have to get it. So Jason, help me explain this. It's a little, it's a, a laser bullet, basically. You put the, the bullet into your gun and you can practice at home using your personal gun and you save on ammo because it's just a laser. Yeah, so it, it fits multiple different calibers. You can get whatever whatever uh, gun that you have, uh, 40, 45. I have a 40. Uh, I use this at my, in my home. Uh, you just pop that in just like you would. You. It looks like a normal round, but you pop it in, single shot, just like you would a normal round, and then you could dry fire. So like the, re- the reason dry fire tracks, is so important. And it tracks your firing with the, you download the app. And so you can see how good your shot is. It's, it's like a video game almost. Like my kids, I get my kids, my kids involved in this. You can teach them gun safety, plus you can actually improve their skills at the same time. But yeah, every time you push the trigger and it, and it fires, it sh- there's the firing pin. It hits the little button on the on the back of the, of the round, and it points that laser at the target. So you can track, you know, if you're, you know, you can track your improvement. You can track how what you're shooting. It's amazing, and I cannot stress enough the importance of dry fire. Shooting is a perishable skill, and if you're going to go to a range every every week, uh, which you should do if you're keeping up with your with your skills, you're going to spend an insane amount of money, an insane amount of money rounds. But with iTarget Pro, you can dry fire from the comfort of your home own home. It's amazing. Yeah. So you can go to uh, iTargetPro.com, use promo code News, and you can save ten percent off right now. Jason, really quickly, do you think that my son is six? Is that something that I should be doing with him now? I always worry that he's too young. I hate to give you advice on it. I don't know how comfortable you are with guns in your home. I come from a I mean, military family. I have family. one, but it's like biometric safe, very careful that 
you know, he doesn't yeah. know that it's even there. Okay, so, so I have. I, I, from, from around that age, that, that's about the age that I started teaching my kids because we do have guns in our house and we, I've, I've, t I've taught them, you know, you never point any weapon at anybody, even a Nerf gun, you never right. point at somebody. Right. They learned that from a very young age. My kid could break apart uh, my Glock when he was, yeah, about six years old wow. and put it back together. But he, he's, he's more safe than probably 90% of adults that have just gotten a gun and, and are messing around with it. So I, th I personally think that's very, very important. Uh, and Giancarlo, before we get into it, I want you to um, just tell the audience just a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. Uh, so my name is Giancarlo Sopo. It's first, it's awesome to be here and sharing a beer with you guys. Yeah. Uh, Cheers. I, yeah, I'm 35 years old, born and raised in Miami, and I work in public affairs and communications, helping companies communicate throughout Latin America. My background, though, is actually in politics. I started out working on Democratic campaigns earlier in my career, uh, and then over the years, I transitioned to the private sector, and now I'm just, over these past few months with everything that's been going on, I've been increasingly worried about this sharp move to the radical left within my party, and I'm trying to you know, pull people my way toward a more sensible center, if you will. I need to ask uh, security how we let a Democrat in the <laughs> That is unbelievable. It must be stopped. Uh, all right, I want to get into the latest on Kavanaugh, but just as a caveat for the audience, there are still a lot of moving parts right now at the time of this taping. So I'm sure, you know, you may be listening to this at like 8 p.m. and something's completely different. But as of right now. By now, Carrot road. Top could be in the Supreme Court. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, it could so. be anything like that. Um, yeah, no, it's been, it's been a crazy day. Uh, watching the vote come down live on the radio show today. Uh, 51-49. Um, you know, the moving parts there, there was four really that were questionable. Manchin as the one Democrat who kind of crossed the aisle and voted with Kavanaugh. West Virginia. Murkowski uh, went, from Alaska went the other way, uh, voted no. Um, and so it was 51-49 as the final vote. Collins voted yes. Flake voted yes. Um, as we go forward, uh, as you point out, you know, this is a, you know, it's really in, in uh, it's constantly moving at this point. But what we expect to happen is this vote to hold. Um, there is one really weird wild card, which is uh, Steve Daines from, uh, from Montana, who is going back to his daughter's wedding. And it's a weird thing. We, we, we kind of talked about this a little bit on radio and that, like, uh, my first reaction is, like, this is a big deal. This is a, a Supreme Court justice, right? Like, you need to figure it out. I always say this about, you know, I mean, I'm an Eagles fan. I love uh, football. I love baseball. You know, you're in a World Series game. You're in a uh, Super Bowl sort of situation. You're at the game. Like, this is your thing. This is what you do. Uh, however, when I really stopped and think about it, and, and I thought about my daughter, Ainsley, like, if it's her mm, wedding, uh, screw that. America. I'm there. Like, yeah. uh, that's, my, that's really my top priority. Yeah. So I really kind of I, I kind of have, have come to the position that I really like Dayton's for this. Like, I, I like the fact that he's like, you know what? It's my daughter's wedding, and I'm going to it. Yeah, that's a um, normal guy. Yeah, like that's that's what you should be as a father, right? Like this is this is really what's important. And in the end of the game, like 51-49, without Dayton's fifty, uh, it should be okay. Um, you know, even if we get a switch or whatever, he, they can wait the vote out, and it should be okay, even if he comes back to Washington. I mean, Kavanaugh should get through. I think we'll find out later on what this actually means. You know, I mean. I, you know, look, Clarence Thomas went through this, right? Clarence Thomas went through a very similar um, process. He was approved 5248, but he was approved 5248 at a time where they could have filibustered him. Um, the Democrats decided not to do that. They could have at that time. They let him through with only 52 votes. Um, and, you know, obviously, I believe that was the right thing. Thomas, I think, has been a very good Supreme Court justice. Um, and over time, that, that does fade. 
But there is a situation where we have really turned this institution into a political uh, animal. And, you know, it's not really what it's supposed to be. Um, you know, I, I, I don't fully understand Kavanaugh's approach when it comes to going on Fox News and writing op-eds for the Wall Street Journal. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. I mean, I, I kind of would like him out of it, but I understand his, his, his instinct to defend right, himself. exactly. You know? And that's why I kind of give him a pass on that, is I can't even imagine if people were calling me the things that, you know, I mean, a pedophile. Yeah, you know, know, which just I, has nothing, it's not even an right, accusation. Exa- right, yeah, 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 that's what I'm saying. Like, so I'm getting smeared that much. Mm-hmm. That's going to be my natural reaction, too, is to come out and be like, hey, I'm, I'm a human. Like, yeah. I'm an actual person that you're talking about, and I didn't do these things. And that's the biggest thing here. I think um, where the left uh, overplayed their hand is not treating him as if he was a human. I really think Murkowski, Collins, Flake, we're all very gettable on this. I mean, like, with this sort of situation, there's a bunch of unknowns. We don't know what really happened in that room that yeah. night a million years ago. Um, you know, they, they were gettable. But they went. They played. They overplayed their hand by so much. They made it so ridiculous. They they convicted him without any evidence, mm-hmm. and I think that made people like you know Collins, who is not a conservative, right. stand back and say, "Wait a minute, what standard am I setting here for America if I vote against this? What am I saying to you know every you know little boy in America as they grow up?" I don't. I don't think that she is. She might have gotten got. I, I, she's def, she was definitely gettable, and she might have gotten gut. I'm, I'm, not, I'm still not completely convinced that she is not going to flip. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She could have just voted yes because she does. She she could come out. She so she's called a I think a 3 p.m. Eastern Time press conference. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why you would. Like why would you if if you if you voted yes then why you why do you need a she's press the only one I think calling a press conference. We're taping this. this slightly before then, so we don't right. know the outcome of it. Right. You may know at this point, but I mean it is a weird approach for sure. I, yeah, I just don't understand. Yeah, where I'd say like my team really overplayed its hand was with Mike Avenatti and then parroting <laughs> his accusations. I mean those yeah. accusations. Look, I went to a private Catholic school too, and I. I, I can appreciate the culture a little bit right. in terms of like, hey, this is, you know, uh, it could be a little bit fratty sometimes, right? But to allege that a, a group of 15-year-old boys were running a gang rape cartel all throughout high school, that an adult, she not only went once, then she continued yes. going, like, yeah. at, <laughs> at least 10 times. Oh, yeah. look, they're gang raping. I think I'll come back. <laughs> yeah. See you next time. Yeah, the punch is so good. Yeah, I have that's to true. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, uh, that was one of the other accusations, spiking the punch. Right. Because yeah. usually... You go to punch these is just, parties. Just Hawaiian punch with no alcohol. Yeah. That's normal. Well, that's what they go for. Punch yeah. at high school parties. Did the high school like homecoming committee cater yeah. these parties? <laughs> punch? Yeah. Like you're not going to have punch unless it's yeah, I mean, They're making this guy kind of seem like like Biff Tannen, when in reality, he was more like George McFly in high school. (laughs) This guy guy was a dork. He was like a jock, like a dork. Yeah. You know? Well, and Avenatti is a disaster. He's one of those people, anything Avenatti touches uh, turns to dust, right? Like he is... He's got the fecal touch. He does. He does. (laughs) Everything he touches, not the Midas touch, the fecal touch. It's slightly different. Yes. Um, Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, you know, and and people forget there were, were, people talk about the Ford allegation and and that's that's the main one that's that's been able, obviously she testified in front of everybody but there were five allegations against Kavanaugh yeah. one person who went on Twitter and recanted their allegation one person who wouldn't even sign their name to it one person who was an Avenatti client who was making ridiculous accusations one person who said they saw it in college when they went to the person who was supposed to confirm this they themselves said they had no idea of this allegation and then the fourth thing where we've seen the lack of evidence there I mean even if you believe the Ford thing 
which is highly questionable at this point. You know, we have to remember that there's four other allegations that have basically gone up in flames. And, you know, we want to believe the best about people. We want to believe that, you know, why, if you're Ford, why would you come forward with this? Well, there's a lot on the line. There's a lot of motivation there. And, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but, I mean, you, you pointed this out yesterday, and we've seen letters to this effect today. It, more and more it seems like this was an accusation that she made. Um, and I don't know what happened to her in, her in her life. We don't know. But this accusation seemed to have the, the stench of politics all over it from the beginning. And, you know, even though she was convincing in her testimony, she has nothing else other than that. And that's what's kind of interesting here. We, you know, I said this before this, uh, these testimonies happened. We have a Supreme Court justice here. We have someone who is supposed to decide massive constitutional issues. And we turned it into performance theater. Here are two people going up in front of the country. Who's going to be most convincing? One person is, is, is very emotional and saying something terrible happened to her. Another one is very angry and saying, I did not do this. That is not the way to decide constitutional issues here. Yeah. You know, we turned it into anger versus uh, sympathy. That's emotion versus emotion. Neither one of those things, no side of that should have emotion attached to it. We should be making, you know, sort of logical constitutional decisions on this. And, and when it comes down to it, there's just not enough evidence for anyone, I think, to really make a concrete a belief uh, when it comes to believing Ford or any one of the five accusers. Yeah. Um, and before we get to break, I do want to bring up, just because you kind of touched on it right there, uh, the latest on the Ford testimony and all of her statements that she had given was that, you know, as we know, Leland Keeser, she named as a witness to mm -hmm. this party. Uh, Keeser, of course, said that she was not a witness and she did not, she said, no, this did, did not happen. Uh, well, apparently... Ford's other friend, Martha McLean, who is former FBI, and then what? who else did she? She worked for Chuck Schumer. And Preet Bara. And Preet Bara. So mm -hmm. she's very politically connected uh, with the Democrats. So she apparently um, was someone who went to Leland Keeser and asked her to please clarify her statement. Just kind of prodded her to, hey, you know, you didn't really give her enough backing. I think that you need to uh, change your statement. That was released in the FBI investigation. And apparently the FBI obtained text messages between Leland Keeser and Martha McLean. So at this point, you really have to be thinking, OK, something stinks here. Because when you've got a friend of hers who is very politically connected going and telling someone who did not cor corroborate the event mm. that, you, hey, you need to help her out, that doesn't all add up. It's a bad look. Yeah, it's a really bad look. And we're gonna, about to see a lot more of that, I think, too. Grassley wrote a letter I hope so. um, to, her to Ford's attorneys um, saying that she, they want all the communications between all the different accusers, Ramirez and mm. Sweat. Yes, Sweatnick. Sweatnick. Yes. Um, so obviously something that must have come out in the FBI investigation that he already knows. Now yes. he wants it on record. Yeah. yeah. All right, back in a minute. I just believe everything that Bob Obama says. That's kind of my policy. <laughs> <laughs> right? I got that same feeling. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour, on tour this fall. Oh, hello, I didn't see you there. I was busy <laughs> drinking my wine. You drunk. Uh, <laughs> before we get into uh, the rest of the show, want to make sure to thank our sponsor, My Patriot Supply. Uh, so... Emergencies happen, right? We've got hurricanes where you could be flooded and lose power. We've also got, like, you gentlemen, if your wives go out of town, 
who's going to yeah, cook. Everybody breaks down pretty right? well. Yeah. And so you need food, and we can't expect you guys to get up off the couch. Oh, oh God, no. I cook in my house. So I just Do you? I, 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 my I, fiance is the cook, too. Yeah. Oh, really? It's, um, yeah, it's amazing. Well, I don't even know where the kitchen is in my house. Yeah. <laughs> if society breaks down, however, Uber Eats does not deliver. That's true. Which is, uh, <laughs> is terrible. That's true. That's I think terrible. Jason's wife was uh, out of town for like two weeks a little while ago, and the kids were so tired of having pizza. Was it pizza well, every they, night? They got so tired of all the places that Uber Eats delivers from. <laughs> yeah. That's like, what they got sick of. God, please, <laughs> stop it. So, you can either use my Patriot Supply as it's intended for uh, emergencies, actual natural disasters, <laughs> or you can use it for when your wife has to leave and you're just too lazy to uh, make food. It stays good for 25 years. Uh, and guess what? Now you can get a two-week emergency food supply for $75. That includes breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So it, that's kind of a no-brainer, and that's way less than you would spend on Uber Eats for two weeks. Yeah, for one 70, meal, it's Uber $75, that's a steal. Uh, you can go to preparewithnews.com. That is preparewithnews.com. Jason, you said that it was an interesting anniversary. Yeah, the way uh, things line up sometimes, it really makes you, well, for me, I, I'm a religious person. Th things just, I don't put, the, put it off to luck or to happenstance. I always see usually a spiritual, you know, element in it. But um, so we are having, the biggest thing that's happened, I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, uh, I was a political science major my freshman year in college, and uh, I remember they were saying, this is his history. You know, like this was so big. It was, they were talking about the uh, Clinton impeachment. Mm -hmm. And wow, I am old. That was crazy. <laughs> um, so they were talking about the Clinton yeah, impeachment. Are. Well, nowadays I get the same feeling from watching the Kavanaugh hearings. And um, it, it, it's huge. It, it's, 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 it's front and center. It's the center, uh, you know, uh, ring of the circus. It's, it's, it's crazy. Well, this date is the same exact date the Me Too movement began. Wow. Mm. October 5th last year. Mm. Exactly the same. Wow. Same date. It's been exactly 12 months to the day. Now, let me caveat this with saying the Me Too movement, right, it started off very, very serious. Um, you know, everything at Weinstein is horrible. It's backed up. It's corroborated. There's evidence for it. Um, and many other cases that will come out of this will, will be, you know, a positive. It's good that there's a spotlight on yes. this because of this. Yes. However, there has been some not so... How do you put it? I, I don't know. I, I don't think everything. No, there, it's impossible that all of these are. are I, I think a lot of these are like Kavanaugh's. Mm -hmm. There's been to date. I don't remember the exact number, but over 400. It's 420 something uh, accusations made. Over 400. Now, the, and those are just You're the talking ones. About just like from notable celebrities. Right. These are notable. Or, okay, right. So these are notable. These are like the Weinsteins. I've seen way more than that just oh, yeah. on Twitter. People, so, so they, <laughs> but the, the numbers even, but the numbers double once you, it's, it's well over 800 once you start going into the lesser known. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just insane. And it's kind of like, it's just where we've gone from to where the, the, the Me Too movement went from being something very serious, something we actually should look at, look at, to you are guilty because you have been accused of being, uh, of being so. You are, you are the accuser, so now we are going after your head, and we are going after you to destroy who you are, your reputation, everything about you. And I just thought, in, in, my, in my mind, 
I was like, it's, it's crazy that at this point we, we are seeing basically the culmination. It was almost like it was served up to us on a platter of, it's, it's an actual like ex perfect example of where we've come from, where we are now. This is, we're, we're at, you were looking at my beer or something like that. No, like he's got a pumpkin oh. ale over there. I'm like, how did I not get that? In the middle of that point, I was like, wait a minute. I was, I was here early. Oh, I guess so, jeez. I'm sorry about that. But I was like, but it's just, it's just, it's a, it was a perfect example of where Me Too has devolved into. What it has devolved into. Yeah. It has devolved into this thing where this person is guilty with no evidence whatsoever. But we are going after him and everyone is calling him, he, everyone's calling him a monster and the other person a victim. Based off of nothing. Jacques, where, where do we find the balance on this? Yeah. I think show me specific instances of sexual harassment and of sexual assault, and I will stand there with you. Yeah. Right? Show me evidence. There was plenty of evidence in the Roy Moore case, for example, right? Right. I don't think any of us looked at that and thought, oh, this hasn't been corroborated because it was corroborated. There were a lot of people, I will say, yeah. just because I like to try to be objective yeah. here, at least here at this table, um, <laughs> there were a lot of Republicans who excused all of this corroborating evidence. And I yeah. think we were the ones who said, eh, you kind of have to look at all of this and say, yeah, he probably did do it. Yeah. But we didn't, but there were Republicans who did defend his behavior and I spoke out against them at great length. Yeah, me too, right? Yeah. And so I think it's important to look at, at a case-by-case -case basis and not judge by guilt, guilt based on association or guilt by gender, right? So I think, like, in the evidence in, in the Brett Kavanaugh case, you have to approach it with a prosecutor's mind, a dis dispassionate prosecutor who just looks at the cold, hard facts, right? And when you follow the evidence, it does not point you in the direction of guilt. That doesn't mean you, that you can't oppose Brett Kavanaugh because of ideological reasons or philosophical or whatever, right. but, you, but you can't call the guy a rapist. Right. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's nothing virtuous about uh, collective guilt. Right? I mean, accusing all, you know, accusing Brett Kavanaugh because all white people are bad right. uh, is not, there's nothing virtuous about that. I mean, and that's not something you should be proud of. And we kind of have come to this point where, you know, look, there have been a lot of accusations, a lot of real things. And I, and I think, you know, we can come to something really good out of this whole moment. Um, and I hope it's going forward instead of looking back. I think so far we've focused on like, hey, what happened in 1978? That person sh who did that thing in 1978 should be punished, or that person who did that thing in 1982 should be punished. But like, more importantly, we should look at what is going, what's, what's the truth going forward? And if we can come to a point with, with the sort of Me Too movement where we say, hey, back in the day, there was maybe pressures against women who didn't want to come out because it was, you know, really tough for them. And they maybe did get blamed and maybe they did get treated unfairly and weren't believed and powerful men were able to squash them. Let's end that. Let's yeah. get rid of that going forward and say to women today, if something like that happens to you, please go to the police. We're, we're going to take you seriously. We're going to, to look into your claims and take them seriously and, and hold, no matter how powerful they are, the men responsible if they do that. Because the only way to actually uh, you know, litigate these things is to actually have evidence. We can't, we, I mean, Ford could be telling the absolute truth. There is no way we can punish Kavanaugh for it at this point. Because we have no evidence, we have no witnesses, we have no idea what happened. And and we also story. have corroboration on Kavanaugh's on Kavanaugh, side, right. yeah. not on Ford's side. I, I, I tend to agree. I think that there's definitely a path forward for this. I think it could be a good thing, although it's horrible for Dr. Ford. Her life has been ruined just as well. And they're going to and they're going to kick her out. And it's horrible as soon for as they can. And it's horrible for Kavanaugh and his family. Yeah. But I think that one of the good things that can come from this is we have seen like of all the numbers that I just threw out, the 400 plus accused, over 800, you know, doubled. 
You've never, those, are num those numbers are easy to find. The numbers that are hard to find are convictions. No one reports that. There's, you cannot, it's, I couldn't find it this morning when I just did a really quick Google search. Well, I mean, no Harvey one's Weinstein reporting on the convictions. Hasn't even been convicted, right? Right. right. But I mean, but yeah. what we haven't seen is one of these things fully play out. Okay, you've been accused. Let's get a, let's get a bird's eye view into the courtroom and see how these things uh, actually play out. We've seen it with Kavanaugh which I think is a very, very positive thing going forward. We've seen it. Look, there needs to be a burden of, uh, uh, they need to show evidence in, in, in these cases. You can't just convict him just off of an accusation if it sounds and looks really bad. I mean, it's, it's positive in the sense that so far, again, as of this taping, so far it seems that, you know, justice and truth and fairness has prevailed, but there was still a large part, you know, all Democrats minus one still voted against this guy and are still smearing him. And to me, that's a little bit scary. Um, really quickly, Giancarlo, so how do you think that this is going to play out for the Democrats in November? I think in some districts, in some congressional districts, it's going to play favorably. But I think as a whole, uh, particularly in some Senate races, it's going to energize Republicans. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's going to help him in the House, but hurt him in the Senate. Yeah, you think that's accurate? Yeah, yeah. I, I, th I think that that's fair. It might help him in some swing House districts, mm -hmm. but uh, but in, in the Senate seats that are in play right now, it, it'll boost the Republican challengers. All right, back in a minute. Yeah. One more thing is that there has to be some kind of consistent standards. There's no. There's no. Hey, Sarah Gonzalez here, and if you like what you're hearing on this program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. The program is available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. If you have not gotten your tickets yet, don't forget, Glenn is going on tour. Uh, he kicks it off October 25th, uh, the 25th through the 27th. He's going to be here in Texas, San Antonio, Houston, Dallas. Is it 12, 12 cities? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, um, going all, all across, yeah, all across the country. So check it out at uh, glennbeck.com slash tour. Get your tickets. You might see Stu there. Yeah, Giancarlo would be dancing live. Yeah, Cuban dancing. Great. <laughs> little I salsa. can't wait. So what are you waiting for? Go get the ticket. I'll see you in overtime. Up next, enjoy bonus overtime content from the news and why it matters. Available exclusively for podcast listeners and Blaze Premium subscribers. Become a premium subscriber at theblaze.com slash subscribe. Giancarlo, oh, the man. latest jobs and e economics report. Yeah, no, some great news for the country. Look, I, I think it's important. Our economy, we're in a free market system, right? Runs on its own, right? We just need sensible regulations, and people can move the economy forward through their own individual incentives. That is great news for the country, regardless of who's in office, right? Mm -hmm. I, know, I know Trump's going to take credit for it. Great economy. It's all me. <laughs> you know, and I know a lot of people on my side are going to say it's, it was all Barack Obama, Whatever, who cares who gets credit? It's great news for the American people, and that's like something that all of us should be excited about, especially if you're talking about a family that was unemployed. Also for minorities, black and Hispanic unemployment is at an all-time low. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah it was a 3.7% for unemployment overall, which is yeah. incredible. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and like I think we need to get back to a place in which we all sort of recognize that the president doesn't run the economy by himself. Yes. I mean, yeah. that is, you know. It's not like, like pulling you, levers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could really look back at Barack Obama's last couple of years, and they were really strong yeah. with growth and job growth, um, as well as Trump's first couple of years. But, like, it's not their responsibility. Like, right. Donald Trump took, uh, you know, office on January 20th. Uh, that doesn't mean that he was responsible for every job that came in in February. It's, it's, it's a ridiculous standard because we build these people up into kings. 
It's the exact thing we ran away from. I don't know if you remember this, yes. 1700s. We kind of ran away from the king thing. And I wish we could get back to that because the story here is no matter how much we screw it up, capitalism brings us to a point, you know, over time where things are really positive. We brought a lot of people out of poverty or globally, billions of people out of poverty all over the world. This is a really good thing, and it's almost hard to screw up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, though, I feel like this story has been buried lately, and with all yeah. of the Kavanaugh stuff that's yeah. going on, I a had lot a lot of stories have. Yeah. Mueller investigation. Yes. What happened with that thing? Ro- <laughs> yeah. Rosen- <laughs> and Rosenstein. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't even know what happened. Then. You brought up the uh, year anniversary of Me Too, and when you're going to that, I was I was thinking about you know one month ago what happened. One month ago today. There was a anonymous op-ed written about how yes. evil the Trump oh, administration wow. was only one that was a month ago. ago. It feels like it was like 1974. <laughs> That's crazy. Like the anonymous op-ed oh, saying wow. that there was like the resistance inside the Trump. Yeah. Remember how big of a story that thing yeah. was? Yes. I mean, it just feels like ancient history now. And we never found out who it was, which yeah. is amazing. And apparently we don't care anymore. Yeah, I guess yeah. not. <laughs> Uh, so Orrin Hatch was kind of bombarded. Yeah, you know, I felt that this is like the ultimate addicted to outrage moment. You know, Glenn's book is out now. You can get it in stores. Please do. Um, but this was interesting. Now, Hatch is trying to respond here. But look at look at the, I want you to look at the protesters here. The protesters are just dying for a moment. They could be outraged about no matter what he says, no matter what he does. They just want to find some meaning in their life, some way they can get a viral video of screaming at a senator. Watch this. Don't sleep with me. Why aren't you, why aren't you brave enough to talk to us and exchange it with us? Don't you wave your hand at me. I wave my hand at you. When you grow up, I'll be glad. When I grow up, we grow up. You and I grow up. You talk to women that way. This is embarrassing. It is. This is a screwed up world when we have videos that are making me like Lindsey Graham and Orrin Hatch. I know. Like, I, don't, I don't like this world. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. First of all, they say, he goes, yeah, I got, you know, like he's yeah. just saying like, I got you. I know you what you're trying to, to do. To right? Like, me. I get it. <laughs> and they're like, don't you wave your hand at me. I'm waving my hand at you. Like, why are they offended by him waving their hand at them if they're already waving their hand at him? Right? Like, one's yelling at him. Right. They're yeah. the ones yelling. Yeah. And then he says, look. You just even when you grow up, I'll talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God! Did you say women have to grow up? I mean, it's obviously all they're looking for is that moment, right? Yeah. It's not real, you know. I mean, it, look, it, I, I think there's something kind of uh, quaint and, and, and likable about the idea that people in the halls can just walk up to these guys as they get on the elevator. There's something yeah. I like about yes. that, but like, it's not real. There's not real discussions going on there. It's like trying to get this viral moment. It's trying to just scream and shriek at a senator, and it's just fake. And, and it's just as fake as politics. You know, these protesters who go to these places are just as fake as it is in politics. And, you know, to try to, he didn't do anything wrong there. He didn't do anything that was uh, horrible, anything that would make you shriek for five minutes uh, at an elevator. It, it's just, it's not real. And I think people. I'm going to uh, let you in on a, on a secret. Embarrassing. It's, a, it's a Twitter secret. Okay. Orrin Hatch's Twitter account. Oh is, my it's gosh! Hilarious. It's hilarious. Really it's hilarious. Yeah. They do a good the job person with it. who runs his account, like I want to yeah. be best friends with them. I know. Yeah. Did you so see? Good. Did you see the fun dip Orrin yes. Hatch? Yeah. I died. <laughs> the, someone did a poll that was, uh, who who do you like better? Cocaine Mitch, and then they said like <laughs> Cocaine Lindsey Graham, and then there was another person who was a Cocaine someone. Uh, I think it was Chuck Grassley. Yeah. Cocaine Chuck Grassley, and then Orrin Hatch's office wrote. 
fun dip or in hatch. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, they did a good job with him. Yeah. He, he kind of like makes fun of himself for being old and like. Remember all, when he yeah. tried to the take glasses. off it? Yes. <laughs> the glasses. Yeah, it's pretty good. They do a good job with that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So there was a poll yeah. that came out on theblaze.com that showed almost half of millennial Democrats identify as either socialist or democratic. I'm in the other half. Yeah, ah, thank you. Nice. Okay. There we go. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I that. guess it's fine to let you into the building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's your take on that? I don't know what's happening. I mean, I think part of it is that like my generation. So I'm 35. I was born in 83. By the time I started having like my own thoughts, uh, Cold War was over. So I yeah. think I, I don't think these people grew up understanding the existential threat that existed in the world uh, during during the Cold War. And also, it was very, also like very present to me because my parents are Cuban. Yeah. Uh, because I grew up in a family of people who like fled. And can, can you tell that story really briefly? Because I think it's a very compelling story. Sure. So my mom was actually born in the U.S., but she was raised in Cuba because they had to go back to the island to care for an ailing uh, grandparent, and then she was stuck there for like twenty years. Mm. And my dad was in the Bay of Pigs invasion, um, and his yeah, his his dad, my my grandfather, I never met him because he died in one of Che Guevara's prisons. Wow. So so I grew up being like having that very present in my life and being extremely skeptical of socialism, right? So and so did I think most people in Miami. We understand that. Um, because we have Venezuelans, Nicaraguans, and people from all over Latin America. But, you know, like, ha- most of my generation is completely detached from that. So when they think socialism, they think, oh, Denmark. Or, right. you know, or like, hey, like, you know, like, I, I, I smoked pot when I went backpacking in Amsterdam. And that's not what socialism is. Those are, like, capitalist countries. Yeah, they have uh, nice welfare states, uh, which I think we can debate, th- debate those issues. But that's not socialism. Socialism is something different. And the people who are actually like really pushing socialism in this country, like groups like DSA, they know what real socialism is, and that's what they're pushing. But they're pushing it under the guise of, oh, we just want the U.S. to be more like Denmark. Yeah. And they mm. added democratic. Right? right, right. Democratic socialism. So it's different. Yeah. It's it's super different. It'll work this time Which because is the, it's democratic it, socialism. It's the exact same label that Hugo Chavez used in Venezuela when he was alive and that Nicolas Maduro uses now. So those of us who are like who our families are from Latin America, we know exactly what when they say democratic socialism, we know exactly what they're talking about and we don't want none of that. There's also yeah, it's not de- worked out so well for no, them. No. There's also a Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Yeah. Right. Also known as North better, Korea. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jason, tell us about uh, manufacturers. Okay, so this kind of goes along with what you were talking about with the economy. Um, but the uh, National Association of Manufacturers, otherwise known as NAM, as I like to call them, mm-hmm. um, they just released a survey that they did of all manufacturing companies in the, in the country and workers and, and everybody. Were, uh, high, you know, the, from the executives on down. And this is, there, there is 92% of them were favorable for the coming year on output and uh, how many jobs they're going to create, uh, raging wa- uh, raising wages, uh, everything. They are very, very confident in this. It's a huge bull market for them. And um, supposedly this is the only, this is the highest it's ever been. Their, their, their enthusiasm for this year is the highest it's ever been since the NAM, or NAM, has uh, been doing this survey. Yeah. <clears throat> and they, they, they pinpointed specifically uh, the tax cuts and deregulation as why they're saying that this, it's going to be so great this coming year, which I agree with. I don't know if you'd agree with that, but I, I tend I t- agree with that. But there's something that I don't agree with. I, I think they're kind of jumping the gun a little bit. Um, there's several big warning signs that they should be looking at. For one, um, the new the new NAFTA or USMCA or whatever. Uh, that is, I think, in, in the 
in the very beginning might be positive for them, but eventually, as goods start becoming more and more expensive, that's going to hurt them. Now, it may not happen initially, but that's going to happen over the next, I don't know, would you say 24 months or something like that? This is just a guess. Um, tariffs. Is this thing going to continue to go? Because if the tariffs continue to escalate with places like China or the EU, then again, it's going to make things more expensive to make here in the United States, which again is going to hurt their output, and it's going to hurt jobs. It's going to hurt everything as far as U.S. manufacturing. So anyway, I, I hate to rain on the parade. It's, uh, it's good news that, they're, uh, enthousi- that their enthusiasm is, is high right now. I think it will be great for them to start off with, but there are a lot of there are a lot of big warning signs that we got to look at. And again, it all boils down to our ridiculous trade policy right now. Yeah. Well, it comes to, I think, two of the government choosing winners, winners and losers. Like if you go back to the Obama administration, like they, they prioritize things like solar power and, and, and clean energy. And so those, ener- those, those, uh, dis- you know, those, those parts of the economy were optimistic. And I think Trump does, I think, prioritize uh, manufacturers here in the United States. I just don't think these are workable policies, though. I mean, you look at, like, uh, the, the new NAFTA thing um, gives us access, I think, to an additional 0.34% of the dairy market, which people are talking about, like, this is this big thing. However, the, the tariffs that we put on China, they put reciprocal tariffs on us that have talked much more, multiple times as much, uh, as far as uh, damage to the dairy exporters that were going to China. So, like, so, yeah, we can send a little bit more to Canada, but we, we can't send that amount, and we're wind up getting hurt overall with this stuff going to China. Um, you know, this, these agreements are, I, I don't think we, I don't think it was a disaster, right? Like, I think what Donald Trump wanted was to be able to say he got rid of NAFTA, and we can call it the USMCA. And honestly, at the end of the day, I'm fine with that. If he, want, if that, if he takes that as a win and leaves it pretty much alone, I'm cool with that. It's like a rebrand. But, yeah, exactly. If yeah. he wants a rebrand, I'll give him the rebrand. We'll say, hey, good job there, Don. And, and, and if everything works out, uh, fine. I think we, we need to open up these markets because one of the big problems I have with this whole trade agreement, and I think we've talked about this a little bit, is you know we we were supposedly putting these giant tariffs on Canada to renegotiate NAFTA. Well, we've renegotiated in NAFTA, and all of those tariffs still, still remain. Yes. Like, this was apparently not a negotiating still tactic. Still in aluminum or yeah. still in intact. Still intact. And it's, you know, it's a real problem. It's causing, you know, it's costing us jobs. It's causing real damage to our, you know, overall economy. And in an environment where we have 3.7% unemployment, God only knows what could happen if, this, if that worry went away. Yeah, and I think one of the big concerns that I have on this is that the new administration that's coming in Mexico now is pretty left-wing. Yeah. yeah. So what's going to happen? So this president that they currently have, Enrique Peña Nieto, he's going to try to push this, ram this through uh, his Congress as quickly as possible, and he's got the votes, but then you're going to come down to the implementation, right? So what's going to happen then? And also, Mexico's tax system is one of the most complex in the world. So we can have Mm -hmm. this free trade system, but if U.S. companies doing business in Mexico... Mexico also has to reform their own tax policies because it's one of the most it's a it's it's one of the most complex systems. Sarah, could you say the incoming Mexican president's name as authentically as he just I said can't. it? I can't. Why not? You're not know, I, I You're can. supposed to be able to do that. I, 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 but well, I mean, not as well as he can. Okay. I could do it. I'm half, so I could do sure. it half as half well. as well. You just, just got to roll yours. I mean, I can do yeah. that. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Definitely not going to do it right now. Yeah. <laughs> so Donald Trump Jr. Did you guys hear the the statements that he made on the news about worrying for? Uh, his son in this day and age where you can get accused of something. Uh, well, of course, the, the view 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry to do this to you, everyone. Mm. Uh, the View had some some remarks to say about it, but I want to bring up something uh, that Whoopi Goldberg said that uh, is a little bit interesting. If you go do some digging in her history, uh, let's watch what she had, what Donald Trump had to say, and then what Whoopi had to say after that. Right? I got boys and I got girls, and when I see what's going on right now, it's scary. For all things. I mean, I wouldn't want who my... You, who are you scared most for, your sons yeah, or your daughters? I mean, right now, I'd say my son. The other problem is that for the people who are real victims of these things, when it is so obviously political in cases like this, it, it really diminishes the real claims. He's worried about his children. His kids are little, I think, nine and five. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you only worry about this for your child if you think your child has these tendencies. No. If your child is not someone who's assaulting people, mm -hmm. it shouldn't be a concern for you. Eight-year-old so, Oh my God. Yeah. A lot of eight-year-old rapists so, out there. And so what she had to say was basically insinuating that Donald Trump Jr.'s sons must be, must have tendencies of no. being a rapist, right? The whole right? point of this is that you're worried about them being falsely accused, right? right? It's not about, if they act, like if my son grows up to do some terrible crime, I want him to go to prison. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, I love yeah. I'll still love him to death. Yeah. But uh, if you commit a crime, you should go to prison. It's when you're innocent and people can accuse you and you pay the price for the crime when you didn't commit it. That's the issue. Right. Uh, so interestingly enough, you know, you, you got to know not to mess with Donald Trump Jr. You got to know he's going to use his sources and do some digging and find something uh, to use against you. So let's take a look at what Whoopi had to say when talking about Roman Polanski. Uh, I know it wasn't rape rape. Yeah, there was a statutory oh, rape, rape. I, child molest, maybe? I'm I not sure it was, was something. No? It was something else, but I don't believe it was rape rape. And when we get all the information, somebody That's will tell me in my ear. All I'm trying to get you to understand mm -hmm. is when we're talking about what someone did and what they were charged <laughs> with, we have to say what it actually was, okay, not so what we think it was. what he said he did. Interesting. He gave her quaaludes. He gave mm -hmm. her champagne. Mm -hmm. She was drugged. She was 13 years old. They were he answered his transcripts. And, that's what I'm saying. You're 13 years she old. She was still a child. He initially, excuse me, initially he was charged with rape. Go ahead. And then he, he pled guilty to having sex with a minor. Okay. And he went to jail. And when they let him out, 45 days. And when they let him out, he said, you know what? This guy's going to give me 100 years in jail. I'm not staying. And that's why he left. So that's why I wanted to be really clear because I okay. wanted to know exactly what we were talking about. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. I, for one, do not trust pixelated Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> so we find out now that if it's not rape rape. Right. That's okay. You get a pass. That's okay. Right. What, is, what is rape rape exactly? I feel like you only need the one word of rape. And <laughs> no, but there's rape and it. then there's rape rape. Yeah. I and don't see a huge distinction there. There's statutory rape, and then there's rape rape. Rape rape. Which apparently, statutory rape is fine. It's not rape rape. Right. Right. I, that's a, yeah, I mean, she, look, if she's, she's the last person in the world who should be talking about this, obviously, after Th those That's comments. just disgusting to me. Like, <laughs> yes. like it's, it's just gross. It's like, I think that this, that the Me Too movement is doing a lot of harm on itself by letting stuff like this fly, and also by letting stuff like Keith Ellison fly. Yeah. Like, we need objective standards because it's... It's important to keep people accountable who do terrible crimes. It's also important to protect women who are the victims of crimes. And if you politicize it, so like what if you accuse, right? So right now, if you accused a uh, like Bernie Sanders, or not, no, I don't know, I don't know yeah. if anybody would, <laughs> right. but like what you're, you're like, like nobody's gonna, embarrassed to, yeah, like nobody's <laughs> gonna pay attention to you, yeah, yeah. to your accusation, you know? Yeah. So like, and, well, I mean, I think too, I, I don't think there's a, a Look, Republicans and Democrats can both commit horrible crimes. They can both commit murder. They can both commit rape. They can both commit se sexual assault. But, like, we're at a point where, like, 
Wh- on the right, who are the people who have been involved in the Me Too movement? You know, uh, Roy Moore, mm-hmm. right, was one of the big ones. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, which again, we don't think. I mean, there's been a couple, but most of these people have been in Hollywood, right? And they're not conservatives over there. Um, The idea that, like, she can pick out the one Republican and think, well, their kids must be rapists when she's making excuses for people like Roman Polanski, who is is well beyond the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement is, generally speaking, pointing out things that were not prosecuted. This one was. It went through the court of law. He pled guilty to it. Read his testimony from that case. He admits to all sorts of abhorrent things. He admits yeah, to them in the court. Other than the stuff that he admitted to. Right. It other wasn't than rape, that, rape. we have nothing. It's not, not rape, rape. I've said this before, but I think the absolute worst thing for the Me Too movement is that it's based in Hollywood. That the, that the people, the loudest voices are coming from Hollywood, and then it started in Hollywood. I don't even know that I would say, I mean, I get where you're going, because I know we've had this conversation before, and you've said it's just really hypocritical. I would say the moment that Democrat leadership got a hold of it and weaponized it would be really where it started going downhill. Because you could at least say in in Hollywood, okay, they may have turned a blind eye to it before, but at least these are things that actually happened, right? These are, I mean, these are things that actually happened. And regardless of who said what at the time, at least we're finding this out now. With, you know, after Me Too became weaponized by Democrat leaders, I think it's very similar to the way that, you know, the fringe left uh, weaponized Black Lives Matter in that, you know, Black Lives Matter at the beginning, they really did have, you know, their cause was, I think, just. And I think that they did bring up instances where we should have looked into certain matters uh, more carefully because it's, it's unfair to say racism is not, you know, alive in the United States. It still happens, and we should take a, you know, an examination of that. And I think the same way that the fringe left has, you know, has latched onto the Me Too movement now. And so now everything, you know, where Black Lives Matter, everything's racist. Everything a white person does is racist. Now it's like white men are guilty once they get accused. And I just, I feel like with Hollywood, there was still some good being done, right? Even, even if... I think they so. were being hypocritical I, well, well, by not yeah. by not reacting well, in the I, moment. Well, I don't know, and I say that because the hypocrisy is so bad that it's so easy to call them out. Like Don Jr. is he the one that released this this uh, thing with Whoopi? Mm-hmm. It's so easy to catch them. They did not believe this before. Yeah. There are no. I lived there and worked there for a long time in, in L.A. There are no secrets in Hollywood. Everyone knows everything about everyone. Everyone outside of L.A. doesn't know. But all of those people in that group, if you're over the hill, how they say, everyone knows everything that's going on over the hill. It's like it's so ridiculous. Like you can't have Matt Damon making fun of Brett Kavanaugh <laughs> and doing this hilarious thing on Saturday Night Live when your, when your career was built off the back of Weinstein. Yeah. You, you can't. It's, the hypocrisy is so awful, and everyone knows this. We're like, guys, shut up. But you would say that it's still a good thing that all of this Weinstein stuff finally came out. Right. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. I always say this is a good argument, too, for Trump to not be spouting about it. You know what I mean? Like, I, avoid this. Avoid yes. it completely. Like, turning this into a political issue means that people are just going to take sides. We've seen it with Kavanaugh. There's no reason for our, you know, for, uh, you know, Republicans or conservatives to try to do this. It is supposed to be, it should be a legal issue. It should be a right or wrong issue. It should not be a left or right issue. Yeah. Uh, all right. want to get to the blaze why comment of the day. Uh, remember, podcast listeners, if you're new, new subscribers, you can tweet us any questions, comments you have using the hashtag TheBlazeWhy. Um, the guys really like it when you get super personal mm-hmm. and ask them really private <laughs> questions about their lives. They love it. Love it. Uh, okay, so today we have a tweet from, I think it's Sabes, 
But he did the who wore it better. <laughs> he, yeah, he did the who wore it better last week, or I guess it was Monday. <laughs> and today's who wore it better oh, is, uh, for you podcast listeners, it is a picture of Colonel Sanders uh, <laughs> next to a picture of Glenn Beck <laughs> because they're both wearing the white shirt. I do see some similarities there. I was watching the Facebook Live, and that was all the comments. They were oh, like, yeah. oh my gosh, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> I love it when people say that, and they think that they're they're the first ones who have made I'm like, He's the one that first said that, I believe. Yeah, I think he is. I just I met him. I don't want him to kick my ass. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stay quiet on this one. And then today's poll, we mentioned earlier the uh, all of the millennial democratic socialists now who yeah. identify as that. Will all of these self-proclaimed millennial democratic socialists actually show up at the polls? Let us know on uh, Twitter. It's at the Blaze. I don't know that they will. They might be like sleeping in that day and, and super hungover, and they might just forget. Yeah, totally. What do you think? Yeah, well, they're going to be angry at the patriarchy and not show up to vote. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. All right, thanks for tuning in. See you Monday. You came on a day where we. Best day of time. It's not normal. Like what you're hearing. Become a Blaze Premium subscriber and watch the show anytime, anywhere, live or on demand. Go to theblaze.com slash subscribe and start watching today.